welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy, a neurospicy software developer turned startup founder, building the Focus Bear app to help people with ADHD and autism thrive at work. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I can get to sleep in time for my two hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 34 of the Focus and Chill podcast. Today, our guest is Sydney Jackson Cloxton. Sydney is a leadership development and entrepreneurial coach, trainer, speaker, and author. She recently published My Own Worst Enemy, Understanding and Overcoming Imposter Syndrome, a book that delves into conquering negative self-talk and reframing one's mindset for a, for a fulfilling life. Her expertise lies in thought leadership, facilitating tough conversations, building inclusive cultures, DIJA, and empathy. Sydney is a recipient of the 2022 Good Business Colorado Award and holds certifications in trauma-informed care, mental health first aid for youth, harassment prevention, and crisis prevention and intervention. She is affiliated with various organizations, including Consultants for Good and the Colorado Neurodiversity Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the show, Sydney. Hi, thanks for having me, Jeremy. I really appreciate you. It would be great to talk about many aspects of your life, including the book. Let's get started by talking about your experience with neurodiversity and specifically with dyslexia and particularly how that fed into writing the book as well. Yeah. So um, growing up, I actually always loved school. I loved going to school. Um, part of it might have been because my mom was an educator herself, and she actually has circled back around and does that now. Um, but she was a preschool teacher. So like, I, you know, I was always doing school-esque type things, even at home um, and playing school growing up. And so when I got to a certain age, um, it had to have been right around like second or third grade um, when, you know, spelling bees were really starting and grammar and spelling was really being looked at. I struggled greatly. Um, I just remember coming home and like being in tears because I would bomb a test or fail a test, right? And I had studied and my mom had helped me study for hours, um, even in like the second grade. And, um, you know, at that point, my mom, I'm very grateful. I know I mentioned her a lot just because she's one of my role models, but she advocated for me with the school um, to look into like something, just something wasn't right. 
right? Like she would actually help me study. It just wasn't landing. We did hooked on phonics, like all of these things. And it just was not clicking for me. And the school, because I was really gifted and smart, right? Quote unquote, smart in school and presenting a certain way. They were like, oh, well, she's really smart. She just must be lazy. Like that is something directly a teacher said to my mom is that she's smart, but she just must be lazy when it comes to spelling. She doesn't like it. And so um, I'm very fortunate that I had a mom that showed me what self-advocacy looks like and um, advocated by saying, no, that's not correct. And I don't know, you know, this every school system is a little different, um, but here, at least in Colorado, um, to get accommodations for things, you have to have someone who will advocate for you, a parent outside of the school that really advocates. And so, because it costs money to do testing, it's not cheap, it's pretty expensive. And so finally, she got them to agree to pay for my testing. Then it came down to the very last, I mean, they checked everything, IQ, like all of these different things I could read really well. But when it came down to the spelling, that's where they saw my dyslexia was at. It wasn't in how we traditionally think of dyslexia with like reading or me transposing, you know, all of my letters. It, it it showed up very different than what typically a dyslexic person's, um, and I put air quotes, right? Typically what someone would think dyslexia looks like. Um, so from an early age, like, you know, having that narrative of, oh, you're you're smart, but you're lazy. And, and then starting to internalize other things, having comments made over the years of like, oh, you're in special ed, like, I wouldn't tell anybody that or having adults even in the workplace, like snicker behind my back. When I had to, this is before computers were everything, right? You know, you have to still fill out paper forms or write on paper, and I would misspell things. And I caught a team of folks um, that I worked with, like in pretty much in the break room, like laughing at me and my spelling, um, which was extremely painful to have that experience. And so having all of those experiences over time really reinforced imposter syndrome in myself of like, okay, well, I have these limitations, you know, in order to stay safe, to not be judged or not to have, be poked at or made fun of, let me try to stay in a certain lane or a certain box. And writing this book was actually a really cathartic experience for me because um, it was a way to kind of <laughs> kind of give the double middle fingers to everybody, like who, whoever doubted me or made fun of me or said I was smart, but lazy or whatever, um, to write this book, to talk about imposter syndrome and to use it as a tool to take my own journey and my own experience and turn it into something that other folks can use um, as a tool for empowerment for themselves. So yeah, that's how I got to, to doing my own worst enemy um, because I am a strong believer that imposter syndrome, it is a psychological phenomenon and we become our own jailers. We we pretty much keep ourselves in the cage um, once it sets in, if you have it chronically. Um, and I, I really wanna help folks break free from that and step outside of that box and really discover who they are and what brings them joy in life. Mm, that's so important. Um... Very sorry to hear about those negative experiences growing up. I'd hope that kids and the education system and the workplace would be a bit more understanding these days. Do you think it, it's getting better for people who are dyslexic? Yes and no. I think the awareness of different um, 
neurodiversities or neuro, neuro distinctnesses. There's different terms right out there, but I think um, the awareness has grown quite a bit, but I actually, um, and I can send this to you afterwards, I don't have the actual report title on me, but um, there was a report done that asked employers in England, you know, would you hire someone if they had a, a, a neurodiversity and you knew about it and 50% of employers said no, that took the survey. So I think there's a lot more awareness. I think though, in my own opinion, there's still a lot of ignorance though around what actually is neurodiversity and neurodistinctness and you know, how does that impact someone in the workplace? Um, you know, clearly you read all those accolades, right? Like being an award winner and having written books. You know, I had a boss who told me I was un totally unprofessional because I had a couple of grammar errors in an email. By the way, the email she sent to me saying that had grammar errors. Um, but point is, <laughs> is that there's a lot of people who don't understand that there are folks out there who are really gifted and talented and if you put them in the right area and in the right space, you actually can create something really cool um, by having that voice in the room. And so I'll, although I, like I said, I think awareness is building, there's still a lot of ignorance around what does that look like employing someone who has a neurodiversity or a neurodistinctness. Hmm. Yeah. Had someone, another guest on the show who was arguing that the issues with spelling and, and grammar have almost become irrelevant with modern tools, with things like Grammarly and things like being able to read text aloud. Do, do you think that those kind of assistive software tools are making it better? Yeah, you know, I'm very fortunate to grow up in the digital age because um, I was, I literally was on that cusp, right, of like internet starting, you know, I remember Ask Jeeves was my first portable dictionary. Like that's how I made it through middle school and high school. Well, high school, then we had Google, but that's how I was making it, right? Is having access to these tools. Um, and it was helping me mask, right? My my hidden dis disability. Um, so I think there is some value in saying like, yeah, there are tools out there that help, you know, Grammarly, like you mentioned, is a great one that I think anybody could use. Um, you know, Google offers for free if you're on their um, browser and you go to Google Documents, you can do speak to text um, and it's included. That used to be a really expensive program called Dragon Speak that you had to purchase and install and things like that. So they, and then like you said, reading the text back, all of that stuff has made it a lot more accessible and easier for folks who have um, dyslexia to be able to like quote unquote function. <laughs> how uh, society would like for them to do. But I think anytime you have something that doesn't allow you to be what's considered typical or the norm for the culture that you're in, um, you still can end up feeling like a outcast or becoming an outcast in some ways. Um, and those tools aren't always available. Not everybody has access to internet. Even here in the US, not everybody has access to internet. A lot of people think they do, but that's not always uh, the case for everybody. Yeah, um, still some barriers. And like you said, the societal attitudes probably need to shift. Speaking mm. of shifting, let's talk now about the type of work that you're doing. You've you've got the book. What else do you do? Oh, man, <laughs> I do so many different things. Um, no, I really love 
first and foremost, talking to people about empowerment and using my skill set as a tool for transformation for folks. Um, and I know transformation has become like a buzzword, but really um, helping to, to leave people uh, feeling more empowered or feeling better than when they first came to work with me. And so I do everything from event coordination. I um, help plan a, a really uh, prominent library here in Colorado. It's called the Blair Codwell African-American Research Library. They did a big grand opening. I helped coordinate that. I'm coordinating Good Business Colorado's event um, conference, their first conference, all the way to doing coaching. Um, I've worked with over 300 entrepreneurs in the last three years. Um, by working part-time at a, at a nonprofit that does entrepreneurship startup. Um, so I'm kind of all over the board because I don't like monotonous tasks, but um, I really enjoy being in that space of like coaching and consulting and supporting individuals um, with their programming. Hmm. Love it. And how about when you're not working, what are your hobbies? What do you get up to? Yeah, when I'm not working, I love to travel. I'm sure other people have said that too, but um, I actually started a travel agency in 2019, which was going really well until it wasn't um, due to COVID. Yeah, so sucks. yeah, it was, listen, talk about crying. I just cried. I was like, I just quit my job and I just started a business, but that's okay. Things happen. And that's life of being an entrepreneur. When one thing ends, you just start a new chapter um, no pun intended because of the book, but anyway, um, I love to travel. I love, um, the movies. My partner, he went to film school for a little bit out in California. And so he's really into film as well and watching movies. And, um, I also just enjoy like having some rest time because I am very active in the community with like, not just my business, which takes up a lot of time, but also, I volunteer a lot. And so anytime I get a chance to just decompress and like be at home or even going into the mountains and just being in nature, I love earthing. Like, have you ever heard of earthing before or grounding? You take your shoes off and you stand in the dirt. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love doing that and just like, you know, sitting, smelling, you know, the air, the dirt listening, just kind of like taking time to um, decompress my mind and meditate a little bit. Mm, that sounds wonderful. I've heard Colorado is really beautiful and there's heaps of hiking trails and skiing in the winter. You're really lucky to live there. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I'm a fourth generation Gen Denverite, so very, mm. very fortunate. Um, but yeah, and by me, where I live, there are so many trails, like you are in the city, you're in the city, but you can easily feel like you're not in like five, 10 minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. Where do you normally travel to? You know, I really love going to New Orleans. I was actually just there this last weekend over Labor Day for my bachelorette. And I was like, grand tour guide to all of the ladies that were there with me, which brings me joy because of the travel experience, right? And so just getting to experience like a whole new environment and the oh the food. Oh my God. <laughs> like the food is so good, the spices, you know, the fresh seafood, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I really enjoy the culture, the music, so much music everywhere you go. 
And then just like getting to see so many people, it's, it's just a really cool experience. And everybody was really um, happy with their experience when they were there. Um, and then out of the country, one of my favorite spots to go to, uh, which a lot of people think is interesting because they have, don't hear it often, but I love going to Panama in Central America. It is one of my favorite spots to go to. I feel like it's um, like Costa Rica's little brother uh, because it's not as crowded with tourists, but it's literally very similar to Costa Rica if people have been there before. So yeah, it's one of my favorites. The secret's out. Now it's going to be crowded. I know. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Let's now talk about your morning routine. What do you do in the morning to kickstart your day? Yeah. Well, I, I, I focus on hygiene. I brush my teeth, right? But after I do all of those things, um, I often really like to take a moment to just like sit down. And I've started journaling and doing like a gratitude journal. Um, you know, between like COVID and then my partner and I were doing kinship for his niece and kinship is pretty much like foster care, you know, a tragic circumstance happens and they look for family for the kiddo to go to first before they put them in the system. So we became instant parents to a teenager for a few years. She's now with her grandmother, um, cause she wanted to be there and her grandmother wanted her there too, which was fine. Um, but becoming an instant parent was a lot <laughs> like mm. overnight for the last couple of years. Um, so now I'm finding that like, now that I have the space, I can actually like rest a little bit more in the morning. I don't have to get up for school and do breakfast and all of those things. Like I can reclaim some of that time to really like focus on myself and focus on me, which has been really nice. Mm. That's great. What time would you normally wake up in the morning? Oh man. Well, I used to get up at like seven. I'm not a morning person. That's why I was so, I was like grateful to you. It's like, <laughs> it's 8 a.m. and you're up and you look great. Like you're ready to go for this interview. Um, <laughs> but like seven o'clock, six thirty-seven, And mm. now I can rest until about eight thirty-nine if I wanted to push it. Mm. That sounds nice to be able to gradually ease into the day. Yeah. Yeah. And when you start working, what productivity tactics do you have to optimize your productivity? Yeah. So one of the productivities that I actually mentioned in the book is called creating a Tada list. And um, I'd like to use the Tada list because essentially I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so I am a to-do list person. I'm like, let me create a to-do list. I'm going to start crossing things out, right? The problem is, is like, being a perfectionist and creating a to-do list, I'll overdo it on my list. And if I actually looked at my time frame for everything, my list for one day actually would take like a week to complete. <laughs> being honest, I don't know if you, are you a to-do list person? Yeah, too? no, I, I can very easily do the same thing. That's, yeah. That's a trap. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right. And then you feel like a failure when you don't complete it all. And not, not you specifically, but me, I felt like a failure when I didn't complete it all. So what I've started doing is transforming them into to list and being more conscious about the type of activities that are on there, right? And like more honest, where if it's a really heavy activity, well, I'm going to have less items on there. Or if it's just a couple more, more smaller things, I can add more smaller things. But every time I cross something off now, I go, ta-da! And it's like a celebration. Um, okay. Because if I... Yeah, if I don't finish the list, then I'm not a failure. It's like, whoa, 
you know, I'm, I'm switching my brain chemistry to think about the wins instead of the failure, failure piece. So, yeah. mm, I love it. Do you put a gold star next to the tasks as you cross them off as well? You already know. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little sticker book and everything. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's one of that. my tools. Yeah, that's one of my tools. What are the other ones? Um, some of the other ones are just um, making sure that I am very honest with what my capacity is. Uh, my business has been reaching a point of growth, which has been amazing because now I actually have clients to work with um, and quite a few inquiries. But I have to be honest with how much capacity I have to do the, do all of the tasks. And because I don't want to create a bad reputation, right? With my clients of, oh, she's slow to respond or I can't get a hold of her. So what I do is about once a week, um, every two weeks, I actually take a look at my calendar for the next like four to six weeks. And I'll check in to actually see, okay, where am I at? Am I able to take on some more things, do more outreach? Like, what do I need to do? Um, and that's been really helpful to keep me from getting so overwhelmed that I just can't function. Because personally, when I get overwhelmed, that's when I start to move into procrastination. And to me, there's this really great book called um, The Laziness Lie, something like that, um, where she talks about how people think procrastination is laziness. And it's not. A lot of times it's overwhelm, right? Like, oh, I just have so much to do. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really helpful to keep my production up. Um, it's just looking at, okay, what do I actually have time to do um, before I commit to anything else? Mm, okay. So would you do that as part of when inquiries come in, you'd assess based on your capacity over the next four weeks? Do you have time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it also depends too, like, when are they wanting the support? You know, are we talking about something that's in two weeks or are we talking about something that's in two months? Right. So um, that's how I keep track. With what you were saying about wanting to avoid a bad reputation of not responding quickly enough, I wonder, is part of it having boundaries as well and, and setting expectations for when you'll respond? Because some people, oh, yeah. it, it seems like people's expectations vary. Some people expect responses within minutes, which is pretty hard to deal with. Others are okay with it taking a few hours. How do you cope with that with your coaching clients? I so appreciate this question. Um, there are some techniques that I use. One, when I first start working with a client, I let them know up front what my response time is. And, you know, because I do so many different types of projects, sometimes it varies, right? Depending on the project. But in general, what I tell them is, hey, just so you're aware, I'm, I work Monday through Friday. That's my schedule. My office hours, I, I will tell them, you know, my office hours are from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., whatever, right? Um, I've even started adding that to my email signature. Just when my signature gets too long, sometimes I take it off. But usually I have it on my email signature so folks know what to expect from me. And then in terms of responding, I actually will tell people like, Hey, just so you know, it's about a three day turnaround, unless you mark it urgent. If you actually say urgent, then I will get to you, you know, same day as if possible. So I just communicate clearly. I think a lot of times what's missing is the communication aspect. And as an entrepreneur, you kind of get to set your own rules as to how 
you do your response time, how you do your turnaround. You just have to communicate that with folks. I also um, have streamlined a lot of things. So if it's someone who's interested in working with me, I have a calendar lead that I send them through because one, it's going to ask them questions. Like I have it set up to ask them specific questions on what they're interested in, what do they need. That saves me a lot of time, you know, over the phone trying to dig into what they need. I, I know up front, much like how you had a form for the podcast speakers, right? And you got our information ahead of time to kind of vet us. So I do the same thing with my clients. And then it allows them to pick a time based off of my available schedule. So I'm not overbooking myself. Um, so that's been really helpful. And then when I'm just at full capacity, like right now, I'm in the middle of getting ready to get married in a, in like two weeks. And, you know, I'm planning Congrats. a conference. For, thank you. Congratulations. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so excited. So I'm I'm doing that and I'm planning a conference and I have a few other little projects going on. Um, I just put an out of office on and it said, hey, I'm actually in office working. However, I'm at full capacity right now. So if you're a current client or it's an emergency, you know, please know I'll get back to you. But if this is like a future inquiry or you're curious about something, you want my support, a volunteer, just know I cannot do anything until November but I will get back to you around that time. So that's how I've been handling that communication piece. Mm. And folks have been pretty receptive. Yeah. Mm, that's great. I might have to try the out of office notification, out of office notification. Yeah. Give it a shot. You know, people usually are understanding. They're like, Oh, like that's nice to know that you're just like super busy. You're not ignoring me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so important to be able to work within the limits of one's capacity. And one thing I find helps a lot with that is taking breaks. So we're going to take yeah. a short break. Hello there, this is Joey. I'm excited to tell you about a project I run where I help imaginative people just like you breathe life into their creative dreams, like writing that book or performing that stand-up comedy set. I know the first step can be daunting. I've been there many times and have helped many people on a similar journey. If you've wondered how to bring those ideas swimming around in your head to life, get in touch. We'll shrink the intimidating dragon off a goal into a cute little lizard of an achievable daily habit that you can do every day to get started and stay moving. Click on the link in the show description to get in touch. We're back. So now, keen to ask about a habit you'd like to remove from your life. Yeah, so I personally have a couple of habits that I would love to remove. Um, one of my habits is I'm not going to lie. I love food. I'm food motivated. I would almost say I'm addicted to food. <laughs> um, not like, oh, I got to eat every 10 seconds or anything like that, but I'm highly food motivated. Like I said, my last bachelorette party, the first thing that came out of my mouth was food, all mm. the food. <laughs> so, um, what I've noticed about myself, and I think it just has to do with me personally, anytime I'm stressed or overwhelmed, um, I'm a big snacker, um, which is fine, but I don't always choose the best snacks for my body. Um, and also the fact that, at least in my culture, food is is almost like life, right? Like when someone has a celebration, what do you do? You eat. When there's a death, you eat right? Like there, like food is surrounding everything. And so I've been in therapy having conversations around this habit of food 
and not looking at food as just a tool to go to when I'm stressed out or when I'm having a bad day or having anxiety or even just super excited and happy, right? I'm, I'm trying to break that emotional tie to it and more or less keep in mind that food is a tool of nourishment, right? And it's to sustain me and to keep me going. Um, so that's been something that I've been working on. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a mental health normalizer. So I've been in therapy working on it. Mm, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. It, it's something I can relate to as well. I had real issues with stress eating and binge eating in the past and wasn't good for me. So but it's also great that you're, you're celebrating the positive aspects of it as well. Like That sounds really nice, the seafood and the spices in you, Orleans. I'll, I'll have to go there one day. I guess it's about... Yeah, put it on your list. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so then how do you switch off at night? Wonderful question. Um, something that I do to decompress, and, and I want you all to know that, like, especially as an entrepreneur, it's hard to switch off because mm -hmm. especially if you work from home or even if you work from home, right? Mm -hmm. Your home is also your office. So creating that switch was a challenge for me at first. Um, some things that I would do at first when I first started working from home before I was an entrepreneur, um, about three years before COVID is I actually would shut the computer off, turn it down, like turn it off. And I would literally get up and physically like take my dogs on a walk or step outside and then, you know, come back into the house, almost like I was commuting, but I wasn't commuting. So that's how I got started with being able to decompress and shut off. Now that I've been doing it for so long, um, I think I've been working from home since 2017. Um, it's a lot easier for me to just turn it off. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I, I have it in my mind. I've done a lot of mindset work where it's like, uh, you know what? We're not checking email, but some of my friends who are newer entrepreneurs have to actually have a work phone that has email on it and has all the apps on it. And then a personal phone that doesn't have any of that on it to Ooh. be able to compress. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can balance it, but not everybody can, and that's okay. Um, but that's how they manage it. So that's been one thing for me is just not checking emails. Cause if I do something will come up and then I'll be like ruminating on it, or I'll be like, I got to take care of it right now. Um, the other thing is just to remember, cause I do have a partner at home. Um, and like I said, I had a kiddo for a while at home is that when you choose to have a family, it's important to spend time with them and to be present. And so I really try to make a conscious effort to spend some time with my partner and actually check in with them and, you know, see how their day was going or to go out to maybe dinner or to a movie or to go on a walk with each other, you know, walk the dogs or just to do something to make sure that they know that I'm here for them. And I'm not always focused on work because I am a recovering workaholic. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, work work has been a vice for me before in the past. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's yeah. some of the tips that I have. That's awesome to hear about the mindset work, meaning that you don't actually feel compelled to check emails anymore at the end of the day. That's something I'm, I'm trying to get to right now. It, it feels like I have to do the shut down the computer and just don't let me look at it because if I do see an email, then I'll, I'll want to keep checking it. So I'm, yeah. I'm you're able to detach now. Yeah. Well, and I will say like, keep going because it's just like going to the gym, right? Like mm -hmm. I wish we could go to the gym once and get whatever results we wanted. 
that's not how life works. You have mm-hmm. to like keep actively and it can be tiring. Sometimes you have to keep actively like remembering like, oh, I told myself I wasn't going to do this. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. catching myself do it. And like, even having that conversation in your head or out loud to yourself, like, Hey, we're going to just put the phone in this room for now and walk away. Mm-hmm. Like if there's an emergency, well, first off, what emergency am I going to be called to none? And if there is an emergency, at least my phone's right there. I can grab it, you know? So maybe doing some things like that might be helpful, but it, it's a practice. It takes time. And it's just something that actively has to be built on. Yeah, I agree. I, I've been pretty good at not checking after 5 p.m. for a few months and it's feeling easier. I had a, a lot of anxiety okay. for the, the initial couple of weeks, but I'm starting to have evidence that it's okay. And that if, like you said, if it's an emergency, they'll call. Yeah. I'm starting to appreciate some of the things you were saying around just having more quality time is really nice with, with family and what you were what you, taking the dogs for a walk. That sounds really nice too on all those trails around Denver. Yeah. In terms of resources that you recommend, obviously the number one is your new book, My Own Worst Enemy. Is it available on Amazon, on on Kindle, and it looks like hard copy as well? Yeah. So um, you can definitely, um, if you're on YouTube, I do have a little QR code right here. If you scan Mm. it, it'll take you to my, I think it's a link tree or directly to the book information. Um, but you can actually see where you could purchase it. It is available on Amazon. It's available on Lulu bookshop.org. Like it's pretty much available online, um, and able to ship globally. Um, so yeah, you can get a copy there or you can go directly to lulu.com and, you know, Google my name and you'll see that there's also a digital copy available. So if Mm. you prefer to read something digitally, I did make that available. And eventually I would love to get it on audio. Um, I'm just figuring that out because I'm self-published. So Mm. I'm working to figure out that next piece. Mm. Yeah. Imagine some people record it themselves, which could be quite tiring if it's a long book. How many pages is it? Yeah. Mine's is like 250 pages. So it's not super, super long. Um, and I did that on purpose because I have section breaks where I want folks to actually pause and take time to reflect and to journal Mm. and to actually like start thinking about the stuff that they're taking in from the book and processing it. I love that when there are exercises. Yeah. Internalize the lessons much more. Cool. Well, that sounds like a, a wonderful book. You also mentioned the laziness lie before which also sounded interesting around the mindset of procrastination or judgment of procrastination. Yeah. Are there other books or philosophies or apps that you'd recommend? Yeah, I, I definitely love reading Brene Brown's books. Um, She's one of my favorites that a lot of people know about. Like I said, I have a whole list on my link tree of different recommendations that you can like click on and check out and read the descriptions of. Um, in terms of like apps and tools like that, I will say mindfulness was very helpful. Um, I don't know if you all have the mindfulness app too, but it's like a meditation app. And what's nice about it is that you can take time, whether it's at night and you want a story read to you or whatever, but if you have issues falling asleep, I highly recommend, even if it's just through YouTube, finding something like a meditation or some music, um, and getting into the habit of putting it on 
to help with like sleeping so that you can actually wake up and be a functioning human in the morning. Mm. Um, so that's been huge for me. And part of my success is sleep, mm. um, which is also a good book. Why we sleep is an amazing. Oh, yeah. book. Oh, you've read it too. Yeah. Matthew Brown is it? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people haven't read it or heard of it. So um, I love that book. Mm. Yeah. Um, Powerful explaining the importance of sleep. Yeah, yeah. And explaining development, like the developmental stages of sleep for different ages. I thought that was cool. Then, yeah, I think another thing I would just tell people, like I said, I'm a mental health normalizer. If you can get access to therapy and or coaching, I highly, highly recommend it. Because here's the thing. We all sometimes need help. And help comes in different ways, right? Sometimes it's directly with mental health. Sometimes it's just, hey, I'm I'm feeling a little stuck in a er certain area. And that's where, you know, if it's mental health, therapy is great. If it's you're feeling stuck in a certain area, coaching is great because you can find a coach that fits that niche in what you're specifically looking for. So I will say by far, that has been one of my best investments in myself. Um, and really think about, what tools can you use to invest in yourself? We'll invest in a lot of things, right? We'll invest in new shoes or maybe a car or a house or into our kiddos or into our partner, right? But like, where's the space for ourselves truly in our own development and our own growth? Um, and so I challenge you to think about where can I invest in myself? And that could be a hobby even, right? Like I'm teaching myself ukulele and that's a time investment. So things like that. I like that question. That's a good one to do some journaling on. Awesome. You'll Where have to tell people... me later what you what you discover from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where can people connect with you? I imagine your link tree will have all the places, but is there a, yes. a website that people can go to? As well? Yeah, you can definitely go directly to citrineunlimited.com. It's citrine like the stone. Um, I did that on purpose because citrine is considered the stone of the sun and it means abundance and warmth and wealth, all the things that I want in life and I want for others. Um, so citrineunlimited.com. Um, another good way to connect with me is via LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and I love connecting with people on there. Um, you know, so definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, that is always fine. I love connecting with folks that way. Just send me a message and say, you you heard of me from this podcast. So I just kind of know the reference of where you're hmm. from um, and you're not a telemarketer. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I get messages, telemarketing messages on there now too. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to get the spelling for you for Citrine, but we'll, I'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Okay. Let's close out with your final words of wisdom or any asks for the audience? Yeah. So final words of wisdom, of course, get the book. Um, like I said, you could get it digitally. You could get a hard copy. Um, also, I want to say, and I always end off by saying passion over perfection. I'm a recovering perfectionist, a recovering workaholic. And um, something that I had to coach myself through is saying like, not everything has to be perfect. If you have the passion for something, just get started in doing it. And then you can tweak it later and make doctor it up, right? Make it better, but get started. So if you've been putting something off in your life, just get started somewhere somehow. So yeah, just remember passion over perfection. Love it. 
we'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled, and peace out.